0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kicking Out It 2. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Uh, thank you all so very much for hitting play or the download button or however you uh, uh, achieve your, uh, your, your your podcast listening experience. Thank you so very much for uh, for uh, making me a part of that uh, with Kicking Out It 2. Uh, we got a special show planned, as we always do every every recording. Um, this one in particular, we're going to bring you another Dave 5 Fanny Pack, and for those of you that are late to the party, the Dave 5 Fanny Pack is five random subjects in wrestling history that I can't really dedicate a whole show to, Um, so I throw them all in one recording and uh, make the best of it. Um, in this particular fanny pack, it's we got a little theme. The last few fanny packs we've had some themes. Um, this one in particular is the "what if" theme. Um, now, those of you that listen to this show regularly, uh, I have a, a concept I like to call "Trading Places," where I bring you um, scenarios where we play role reversal, and you know talk about what if um in this instance it's not going to be trading places but it's going to be several what if scenarios that could have taken place in wrestling history um five questions that uh you know i i, I think deserve some kind of attention maybe not a whole show but like i said cramming them all into one and seeing uh seeing what we can uh, accomplish with it uh you know these are five scenarios five what if questions that um I think a lot of fans have talked about over the years um, and things that I think that uh, you guys might be interested in from wrestling history. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting things uh, getting things going. But before we do that, um, it's the usual time period of this show where I offer up the cheap plugs, where you can find Kicking Out at Two. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at Two. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle's at Kicking Out Two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. You can find this show on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com, search Kicking Out at Two. You will find all the backlog archive shows of Kicking Out at Two. You can also find Kicking Out at Two on the RetroMania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. When you search Podbean, um, you search on Podbean, RetroMania with a W, you'll find Kicking Out at Two, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, Hulkamania is Dead, and other great bonus content uh, available for you over there um, you know if you don't listen to podcasts on podbean if you're a Google Play guy if you're a uh, spreaker stitcher Spotify Apple podcast guy uh, anchor wherever you can find kicking out at two and the retromania pro wrestling podcast network all over there on those respective platforms by searching retromania with a W uh, all right um, let's do this let's get into these scenarios this week um the first one that comes to mind, um, why or what if Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon, had a run with the heavyweight championship. Now, I I I'm gonna I'm gonna go in two different directions here. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the opportunities that could have presented itself For Scott Hall, not only as Razor Ramon in the WWF, but during his time in WCW under his, you know, his real name, Scott Hall. Um, As we all know as wrestling fans, those that, you know, live in the wrestling bubble like myself... uh, I'm pretty sure we could answer the question as to why Scott Hall never really gotten an opportunity to have a run with the heavyweight championship in both WWF or WCW. Uh, It wasn't because he lacked talent, that's for sure. Um, Many regard him as one of the greatest of all time in terms of his his ability and uh, his his knowledge for the industry. And um, so it wasn't talent, that's for sure. as we all know, you know Scott Hall has publicly um, gone through some trials and tribulations over the, the last several decades uh, with uh, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, he looks to be on the other side of that these days, uh, knock on wood. But um, we, we could probably guess that um, that has a lot to do with it as to why he was unable to... Um, get an opportunity at, you know, the heavyweight championship or at least a run with the heavyweight championship in both the WWF and WCW. Um, particularly in uh, in WWF, um, I think one of the reasons, I think uh, aside from his personal issues and the things that he was going through while he was there, um, I would imagine that one of the main reasons why he wasn't, inserted in the title picture up at the heavyweight level more often is probably because he was such a a strong anchor in the intercontinental championship division and in the mid card he was like the guy that got you ready to work in the main event you know like someone like for instance like a ted dibiase or a rick rude back in the day or even a kurt henning were looked at as guys that worked with the guys that to get them ready for the main event um Jake the Snake, too, was another one of those guys. He was so over, he didn't need to be in the main event. He didn't need to have a title. Um, Roddy Piper, those guys, they worked with the the names that the company felt were eventually going to get to that level, to work with a Hogan or to work with a Savage or to work with an Ultimate Warrior. Um, Scott Hall was one of those guys. Uh, and he was also such a, like I said, a, a strong anchor of the mid-card and the, and the Intercontinental Championship Division in the new generation of the WWF, that him being removed from that, that, that scene, that picture, that area of the card would be a huge loss. Yes, he would... I think he would have been very successful at a main event level in the WWF. Uh, I really do. But I think because he was such a talented performer he was what many call a utility player you put him in any position it works he could be in a tag team it makes sense and and he'd make it work he could be on his own in the singles he could be a heel he could be a babyface. um you could put him in the main event um and it would work people would believe it people would buy it because he was such a strong character at that time um but i don't believe that um or I do believe he would be successful in the main event, but I don't believe that the mid card, you know, and and that that area with guys like One Two Three Kid and you know Jeff Jarrett and Savio Vega and even you know a young Steve Austin at the time, a um, Goldust, names like that, um, even you know Davey Boy Smith and Ahmed Johnson, you know names like that. If Razor Ramon had, you know, gone away from that portion of the card, if you put him in the main event, the middle of the card would have suffered, would've lacked, with no disrespect to those talents. But Razor Ramon for the better part of, you know, two and a half, you know, almost three years was The the focal point of the Intercontinental Championship picture You know, he had wrestled guys like Shawn Michaels He had wrestled guys like Diesel He had wrestled guys like Jeff Jarrett He had wrestled, um, you know, Gold Dust eventually Which he would lose the Intercontinental Championship to At the 1996 Royal Rumble Um, And Scott Hall, you know, ran through the gamut Of guys in that division One, two, three kid eventually Um, But To the credit of him as a performer and as well as the talents that, you know, he had worked with, um, he was such a strong figure in that division that you almost couldn't picture him without the Intercontinental Championship. Um, As much as myself, like as a kid, I used to always scratch my head. Why isn't Razor Ramon Wrestling for the WWF Championship? He's that good. And um, as I got older, I'd realize, you know, he was better suited and needed for the Intercontinental Championship picture. And so... I think aside from his personal issues and the fact that, you know, he was struggling a little bit, I don't think Vince McMahon and and WWF management wanted to take a chance and gamble on him in that role at the top. Not that he wasn't talented enough, but I think if he was on the straight and narrow, in hindsight, looking back on it, I don't... I, I think he would have eventually gotten to that point of being the champion uh, being up there with the Bret Harts and the Shawn Michaels and the Diesels and the Undertakers. Um, I think Razor would have been in that picture. But like I said, Razor was such a strong force in the Intercontinental Championship picture, and there really wasn't anyone that had gotten to his level. All ta- all those talents that I would mentioned before, great talents, great performers. But I don't think that they were at that level of Razor Ramon. And if Razor Ramon left the Intercontinental Championship division there would have been a huge void that that would need to have been filled. Um, And uh, and I don't think that they wanted to, uh, at the very least, um, take a chance on that. So that's where I stand when it comes to uh, why Razor Ramon never really made it to a main event level. But could he have in the WWF? For sure. Are there definitely some scenarios and some... um, some ways that we could have seen razor Ramon enter the WWF championship picture. Absolutely. Um, you know, for starters, you can kind of go back to 1993 a little bit when he got his, you know, he was early in his WWF run. He had started in the summer of 92. Uh, he was thrust into a, a, a top role as like a protege to Ric Flair against Randy Savage in The Ultimate Warrior. And then eventually he would get an opportunity to face Bret Hart for the WWF Championship at the Royal Rumble in January of 1993. And it's one of my favorite matches. It kind of gave us a preview of what we to what we were to expect to come when it came to the future of the wwf they were kind of transitioning out of that you know old guard with hogan and you know even randy savage rick flair was on his way out and so they were going for the more um you know for the smaller guys the more athletically based product as opposed to the big muscle guys not that flair or savage or big muscle guys but they you know they were part of that era um and so, you know, the match with Razor and Brett at that 93 Rumble really showed us what not only Brett can do at a top level, but that there was potential that Razor was going to be a big player. And eventually, you know, as the year went on, Razor um, would find himself in a top storyline with the one, two, three kid. And then eventually in the inner, you know, that would turn him into a baby face. He would become super popular and he would be the Intercontinental Champion. Um, and so it was for me as a fan it was that particular match in general where i first saw that like razor ramon could be a big deal even as a kid you know and that was like the moment like i don't i I couldn't really put it into words at that time at, at, at 10 years old but it was a moment where i thought to myself like you know razor ramon's gonna stick around he's gonna do some he's gonna be a part of wwf for a long time um not that my ten-year-old brain was thinking that. Oh, I see him as the champ. But after that match with Brett, I definitely, I definitely warmed up to the idea of of him, you know, wrestling for the belt again. Um, I even thought it would. There, the, I enjoyed the match so much that I wanted to see them have a rematch at that WrestleMania that year. Um, and unfortunately, Razor um, had some knee issues, and he was not, you know, um, in the best shape. Uh, and they wanted to get him on the card, and they put him in that match with Bob Backlund. Um, but uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't the best representation of Razor Ramon at that time. Uh, so, like I said, right there from '93, that was like the point in time where I was like, I could, I, my, my ten-year-old brain could get used to Razor Ramon in the WWF title picture. Um and obviously we wouldn't get that just yet. Excuse me, I hit my microphone. Um, but uh in terms of how we could have gotten a Razor Ramon WWF championship run, um, I feel like that could have been something that you could have kind of flirted with um at following, you know, the nineteen ninety six Royal Rumble. Uh, Razor lost the championship to Goldust uh, in controversial fashion. One Two Three Kid was, um, you know, was in a rivalry with Razor Ramon at that time on the side, I guess you could say, um, and he had cost Razor the Intercontinental Championship. So I knew that you know Razor was going to kind of shift out of the Intercontinental title picture and go into the you know the, the rivalry with One Two Three Kid. As much as I wanted to see him get back his Intercontinental Championship. My, you know, my eleven my 13-year-old brain was like, oh, this is a chance for Razor to, to to move up and face the heavyweight champion. And so, you know, eventually he would go on to feud with one, two, three kid. They would have that crybaby match at the the Rage in the Cage in Your House pay-per-view in February of ninety six. Um and I thought maybe at WrestleMania we would see Razor and Goldust in some kind of a rematch of sorts. Um, and we didn't get that. It was a, it was rumored to be Razor and Goldust in like a Miami street fight, which was very similar to what we saw at that WrestleMania, but with Piper in it instead, and it was renamed a Hollywood backlot brawl. We didn't get that. Razor Ramon um, had failed a drug test, and he was suspended, and he was not on the WrestleMania card. Um, at that time, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that and I was curious even as a kid I was like why isn't Razor Ramon on Wrestlemania 12 Um, didn't really have access to the internet at that time Uh, you know my my 13 year old brain wasn't really um, in sync with stuff like that so uh, but Razor in the WWF title picture I think had he had not left to go to WCW um, in May of 1996 I think Razor would have been, they would have flirted with the idea more. Um, as Goldust's, you know, character was catching on and it was becoming a lightning rod of controversy. Goldust, I think, like I said earlier, Razor was such a big part of the Intercontinental Title picture that there was someone that I felt wasn't going to be able to fill that void had he moved up the card. But um, even you know, in my in my statement from a few minutes ago to now, I guess you could say I, I would tend to think I was wrong there to think that and to even make that statement Um, because Goldust was such a controversial character that you plugged in anybody to work with Goldust and Goldust um, or that person was like an instant baby face the fans instantly got behind him because Goldust was such a character that tapped into your your feelings and your emotions and and really you know kind of made you address some of the skeletons in your own closet with his innuendos and the the, the propaganda that his character had brought. Um, that you wanted to see somebody just beat the holy tar out of him. Um, so maybe I'm maybe I you know, I'll go on record and say I was wrong. Razor Ramon moving out of the Intercontinental title picture and Goldust being that champion and that that person that the division is built around, um, I think, uh, I, I think they would have done all right on the card when it came to that. You know, we would see Goldust and Ultimate Warrior have a feud, um, which I think is something that, um, even though it was short-lived at that time in 1996 because of Warrior's issues and because of everything that was going on in the company, um, I think a Goldust, Ultimate Warrior, Intercontinental Championship feud would, um, would have been something that you would have been it would have been an attraction and something that people would have wanted to have seen um even though warrior wasn't as popular in 96 i think it's something that people would have wanted to have seen um you know now razor kind of shifting over and and leaving that um and not going you know leaving the intercontinental title picture and not going to wcw um i think we would have gotten I think there's a there's a chance we would have seen two two things taking place. One of two things taking place. Either A, Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels headlined like an in with headline an in your house pay-per-view. Um maybe Razor Ramon would have been the third guy a part of the, the tag team with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson against Camp Cornette. And that was, and we would, that would be the beginning of the Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels rivalry, where Razor, you know, he would be friend Shawn, but eventually um, he would let it be known he wants an opportunity at the championship. They would kind of touch on their friendship a little bit and the history that the two of them had in their previous ladder matches, um, and maybe Shawn and Razor would be, you know good friends going into their championship bout and then eventually, depending on the results, we would see Razor Ramon kind of turn on Shawn Michaels, whether he turns on him in the middle of the match and does something, you know, to cheat, to win, to get the title, or he loses and he's upset and he turns on Shawn post-match out of anger and frustration that his friend got the best of him and he couldn't win the big one. Um, I think that's something that we... probably would have been explored because in 96 wwf you know they had built their their company around sean as the champion brett was taking a break um they were exploring many different options uh, it's in terms of challengers for sean you had diesel at the in your house uh good friends better enemies pay-per-view you had two back-to-back pay-per-view matches with the british bulldog davy boy smith eventually you'd have a match with vader you'd have a match with mankind and then you know he would Shawn michaels would close out the year against sid at the survivor series let's say that razor is plugged into the role that sid was in and that's how you get razor and sean at let's say survivor series in the rubber match if you will um Razor winning and kind of turning and becoming the WWF champion. And then you get the, the the big blow off of that angle at Royal Rumble in Shawn's hometown. Let's say maybe in a ladder match. Now, I kind of touched on that scenario a little bit in our Money in the Bank Reimagined series when I talked about Razor Ramon potentially winning a Money in the Bank ladder match at WrestleMania 12. Had that match had taken place had that concept been created um, during that time period and Razor winning the champion or the money in the bank and then eventually cashing in on Sean with Sean as the champion that's something that I kind of touched upon maybe we would get to see Sean and Razor had Sid not been placed put into place and had Razor been the you know had Razor stayed and not gone to WCW Um, like I said I feel like management uh, you know, would have experimented with Razor Ramon in the main event against Shawn Michaels, um, and I think it's something that people definitely would have gravitated to, and definitely would have liked to have seen. Um, that's one instance where I feel like Razor Ramon had. The, there was an op- there there could have been an opportunity for Razor Ramon to be the WWF champion and be in the be a, f- a focal point in the main event picture. And think about it. Let's say Razor Ramon didn't leave to go to wcw and he has that run with sean um imagine you know him as the champion against guys like Bret hart against guys like you know Shawn michaels against you know let's say diesel if diesel even stayed too diesel undertaker steve austin i mean you know the list goes on and on um yeah i think it would have been um I think I think obviously wrestling would have never been the same, and it would have been much different. We wouldn't have gotten the NWO had Scott Hall had not, you know, left the WWF. Um, but I think it would have been an interesting, interesting time for the World Wrestling Federation in 1996 had Razor Ramon stayed. I, I really, truly, in my heart of hearts, believe they would have really um, tried their best to um, put Razor in a main event spot against someone like Shawn Michaels Um, now let's go over to the WCW factor you know Scott Hall Razor Ramon Leaves the World Wrestling Federation Joins WCW Debuts on the Memorial Day edition Of Monday Nitro uh, May the 27th 1996 And he delivers that famous promo Of you don't know who I, You know who I am But you don't know why I'm here um, And basically firing off the first shot In terms of uh, The hostile takeover uh, of, of World Championship Wrestling And uh, You know Over time You know, as the NWO grew with Hogan as the leader and Hall and Nash is like, you know, the two figureheads of, you know, the the flagships of that group with Hogan, the three big names of the group, um, we would see Hall and Nash, um, together as a team and they would have a series of 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 matches in the tag team division with like the harlem heat and the steiner brothers and even the nasty boys and the faces of fear and um they were a big focal point of wcw's tag team division um even though the tag team division didn't really get a ton of focus um the nwo storyline kind of gave the tag team championship a rub a little bit um and Hall and Nash, as the champions, were a big part of that. Now, um, for the most part, in the two years, at least in the first two years of Scott Hall's run in WCW, he was, you know, like I said, a part of a tag team with Kevin Nash, and they were, you know, the the, the main players in the WCW tag team division as the champions, especially in the NWO. Um, but it wasn't till. November of 1997, when Scott Hall won the World War III Battle Royal, it was the three-ring, 60-man Battle Royal, and the winner of that Battle Royal would earn an opportunity at the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, um, and Scott Hall won that Battle Royal, but it was in the middle of the the culmination of the Sting-Hulk Hogan rivalry, or Hollywood-Hogan rivalry, that would culminate at uh, Starrcade. In, uh, the following month, in December of 97. Now, um, on television, they had let it be known that Scott Hall earned a future opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship, uh, but they didn't say when. Um, originally, it was supposed to be at the Super Brawl pay-per-view. Um, and then, because of the finish of Sting and Hogan at Starcade, they extended... Scott Hall's title match to a later date and Sting and Hogan took place at Super Brawl instead in February of 98 and that was where it was determined that Sting was the undisputed WCW World Heavyweight Champion by defeating Hulk Hogan and I've talked about Sting and Hogan and and you know their Trajectories within WCW on that Trading Places Sting versus Hollywood Hogan Starcade '97 uh, main event, but in terms of Scott Hall and his role in the main event, um, you know, within WCW, once again, it's not a case of his talent and his ability not getting him there. Um, This situation was more or less about his personal issues, because as he came to WCW and you know WCW had a different schedule than the WWF that you know you, you had a little bit more free time you were paid a little bit more money you weren't on the road as much um, you were on the road a fair amount but you weren't it wasn't as hectic of a schedule as it was in the WWF at that time um, Scott Hall's personal issues and his as I hate to use this word but it's been thrown around for you know forever and a day ago when it comes to people um, dealing with uh, drug and alcohol problems his demons even though I don't like saying it. I'm just going to say it anyways. Um, his demons would come into play. Uh, and he would take little sabbaticals here and there. Um, eventually it got to a point where his 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 demons became a part of a storyline. Which um, was in poor taste uh, by WCW. Um, but... Scott Hall would eventually get his opportunity at the WCW Heavyweight Championship in a match against Sting at the uncensored pay-per-view in March of 1998 Um, and I feel like the caliber of a talent that Scott Hall was, he deserves something bigger than that Um, you know, because of the finish the nature of the finish with Sting and Hogan it kind of pushed everything back a little bit and so, therefore, kind of Scott Hall's title shot and the storyline of him challenging for the championship took a back seat, um, and it was also in the it was also in the middle of um, them splitting up the NWO when they were gonna eventually split up the black and you know white and then do red and black and black and white. Um, it was. I wouldn't say it was forgotten about, but I think they lost sight of what they could have had with Scott Hall and his quest to become WCW champion. Um, an opportunity, I think, that could have presented itself was Scott Hall winning the title from Sting with a little bit of help from Kevin Nash, and then that's the quote-unquote impetus to further split up the NWO. Now I know that it really started out between Hogan and Savage and eventually it would bleed over to Nash. And so I feel like there there could have been an opportunity to present itself where Scott Hall wins the championship. Like I said, he gets help from Nash, but it's almost like the two NWOs are fighting over which guy is going to be the champion, which guy's going to have the champion, you know, Hogan selfishly wants Scott Hall in the NWO so that he could eventually get the belt back, Hogan in his mind would think, I'm, I'm guessing based on the way his character was presented at the time, Hogan would think that Scott Hall won the title to give it to him, whereas Nash on the other hand, who has a close relationship both on screen and behind the scenes with Scott Hall, would embrace Scott Hall as the world champion. And would allow Scott Hall to be the World Heavyweight Champion. So it almost would be like a bidding war of sorts for the services of Scott Hall, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Which member of the N.W. which NWO is going to have the power of holding the Heavyweight Championship? I think that could have been something that would have further helped build Scott Hall not only as a star. With I mean, he was already a star in WCW. He was already a big star. But I think it would have really risen his stock, um, that he would be put in a position like that. And it would it would make his championship run a little bit interesting. Um, which way is Scott Hall going to go? Most people would think that maybe he would side with Kevin Nash because they have a close relationship. But, you know, all the money that Eric Bischoff and Hollywood Hogan as the NWO black and white have would be enticing to someone like a Scott Hall. You know, you want protection. You want security. You know, we can offer that to you. They can't, um, and then maybe if maybe if it would be a situation where you know we would think Hall joins up with Nash, but it turns out he turns on him, and he's he's with the black and white as the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and then it becomes a situation where you know Hogan either either and, and this would be. This would be right up WCW's alley because they've done something similar like this with the finger poke of Doom. And I know people would probably shit all over it back then and even today, but I could picture a Scott Hall handing the championship over to Hogan and realizing that the money was more important than the championship and you know, the favor of you know the NWO, black and white, you know, offering up this large sum of money. In return, Hogan gets the belt back and it further, it further enhances Scott Hall's role within the NWO um, and the rivalry with him and Kevin Nash, which I know a lot of people didn't really buy into because they were such good friends, but I felt like had Scott Hall at that time in '98 not have as many personal issues as he did, not take as many sabbaticals on TV, I think they would have. I think there would have been a solid effort to make um, a better go of it with the rivalry of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Um, you know, unfortunately in '98. Hall had to take some time off here and there and, you know, he would disappear and it was kind of forgotten about at times that he had turned on his buddy, Kevin Nash, and joined the black and white. And then when eventually he did, um, when he was around more, they turned his personal life into a storyline with his issues with alcohol and, and, you know, the the issues that he was dealing with, with his wife or his ex-wife at the time. Um, and they, and they brought that to light and it made for some very uncomfortable, um, scenarios that were, presented on television so scott hall is the wcw heavyweight champion i think it would have been believable and i think it would have been very interesting had he been the pawn that both the nwo black and white and the nwo black and red were fighting over um and now the other scenario here is that you know obviously hall could join up with nash and he could be the champion and the black and red could have control over the championship. And Scott Hall would be this, like, you know, cool, hip, fighting champion. But he's got his, you know, wolf pack around him with a Kevin Nash and a Conan. And, you know, Randy Savage had joined at the time. Um, you know, just leave it at those four. Because I hated when they added Luger, and they added Sting, and, you know, just leave it Hall, Nash, Savage, and Conan, those four, and just make them kind of like a, like a DX Rebel version of the NWO against the Black and White, and then, you know, Hogan would have his, his troops with the Giant, and Kurt Hemming, and Bagwell, and Steiner, and, you know, uh, 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 even, you know, keep Norton a part of the group, Scott Norton, um, you know, maybe add one or two more guys to kind of build up Hogan's heel stable. You would have the disciple who would, you know, eventually join the group. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was um, – it, it's it's a situation where I think it, it, it could be explored um, on both w, on a WWF level and on a WCW level with Scott Hall um, as the heavyweight champion. But I think we could all agree that the main core reason why he didn't get opportunities um, – on both ends was because of the things he was dealing with in his personal life and his issues with drug and alcohol, um, which is very unfortunate. Um, and that's just the, you know, the first of, uh, five, what if scenarios we got here on kicking out at two in our fanny pack. The next what if scenario, um, that I'd like to discuss is why don't we stick with, um, WCW. Well, it's, yeah, we're going to kind of stick with WCW here. Um, what if owen hart left the wwf after the montreal screwjob and joined his brother brett in wcw um as we know Bret hart uh, was on his way out of the wwf when he was screwed out of the, w- the wwf championship in the match with Shawn michaels at the survivor series in montreal in 1997 and um not long after that british bulldog davy boy smith and jim the anvil nightheart would join him um, Owen Hart would be off WWF TV for a while, and his future would would remain in doubt for a number of weeks until he made an appearance following Shawn Michaels' championship match against Ken Shamrock at the In Your House: Degeneration X pay per view, and it would be revealed that you know Owen was staying with the company, and they were kind of alluding to Owen wanting to get revenge on his brother Brett for what Shawn and DX had done to him at the at the Survivor Series, and it kind of added a new dimension to the Owen Hart character, which I. I low-key really enjoyed, you know, as, as silly as it may sound, like, you know, he had, you know, he changed his look up a little bit. He grew in his facial hair. Um, he was a little more rugged looking. He wasn't as clean cut. I really enjoyed that that aspect of Owen Hart. He was the Black heart. Uh, You know, he was the sole survivor of the Hart family, um, fighting for his family against Shawn Michaels and D-Generation X. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of his character. And I thought it was something that... Um, I think could have been explored a little further um but at the time you know owen hart i think was a victim of circumstance wrong place wrong time in terms of you know the the the, the amount of guys that were moving up the ranks in wwf you had austin you had rock you had you know kane mankind undertaker you know like so many guys that were you know atop the card that I think it was hard for Owen Hart Triple H, you know, I think it was hard for Owen Hart and that Black Hart persona to really find a place um, within the, the the top ranks of the WWF and the main event level. Um, so let's just say that Owen Hart does not return to the WWF and he got he decides to join his brother in WCW. Um, what if what if Owen Hart goes? Now here's a couple different scenarios that could present itself um one um we could see brett make his debut and bring the heart foundation with him all together as one with davey boy and anvil and owen um and we could you know brett could be the the flag bearer for wcw and you know kind of playing off the, you know his his trust issues from the Montreal screw job you know coming into the lion's den of WCW which is overtaken by the NWO he doesn't trust anybody so he brings his family with him and it's business as usual it's Brett it's Owen it's Davy boy and it's the anvil the heart foundation now they probably wouldn't be able to call themselves the heart foundation because that tr- I think that was trademarked and copyrighted by the WWF at the time but uh, maybe the heart family um could be like a good faction name. Um I could also see Bret Hart coming in on his own and you know, Davy Boy and Anvil kind of following in his footsteps, and Bret Hart has that backup, but then it could be revealed You know, Bret Hart could be such a thorn in the side of the NWO that the NWO goes to great lengths to infiltrate the Hart family. And we see the debut of Owen Hart on an episode of Nitro or a Thunder or even a pay-per-view. He comes out to save Bret and he thwarts off the NWO with a chair. And then out of nowhere, he nails Bret and takes the shirt off and reveals the NWO colors. And you're kind of reliving the family feud rivalry that they had in the WWF in 1994. Um what kind of uh w- what kind of uh you know Oh, well, let me just rephrase that actually. Um so it, w- it would be the kind of rivalry that um fans could get into because they're familiar with Bret No and even some of that WCW fan base, you know, would would you know would get into it very easily because you, you slapped on an NWO shirt on Owen Hart who was a recognizable name in wrestling at the time um, and I, I think it would be a, a, a nice flagship kind of rivalry that could really stand out in WCW it may be somewhat recycled from the WWF but I think if you kind of add its own flavor with Owen Hart as a member of the NWO Owen Hart joining the NWO because of he's jealous of his brother Brett because maybe his brother Brett didn't you know bring him on board to WCW soon enough and and the NWO you know convinced Owen to turn on his family um and that's how you could see the 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 sibling rivalry between him and Brett take place um as Now, as we know, in WCW, when it came to Bret Hart's arrival, um, many many suggest that his insertion in the Eric Bischoff-Larry Zbysko match as the guest referee was not the best way to present Bret Hart right off the bat. But I feel like it was a good idea because they were still, you know, Bret Hart was the hottest name in the business, and he was riding high off of what took place in Montreal. So to kind of add that crooked referee element, um... And and Brett being the one to make sure that we don't have a screw job in a very important high-stakes match at that Starcade, I thought was a nice touch. And it played into everything he had been going through before he came to WCW. Many said, oh, he should have wrestled Hogan right off the bat. And maybe you could make an argument for that. You could. Um, I kind of talked about it a little bit on our Sting Hogan Starcade 97 trading places and Brett's role in that match as the referee. And Brett. Um, being the, uh, you know, the 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 new kid on the block and eventually building to him and Hogan six to eight months, maybe even a year down the line. Um, with Bretton not being a part of the NWO, which we would eventually see in 98, he would join the black and white NWO. Um, so um, I can also see a scenario here where, you know, Owen Hart, like I said, he could turn on Brett and join the NWO, but then Bulldog and Anvil could also as well. And you kind of beef up the ranks of the NWO with some recognizable names. And, you know, Brett Hart, you know, is is kind of fighting from within his family because now the NWO had infiltrated his entire family, his, bro- it's his brother and his two brother-in-laws, to join the NWO. Um, and that could be like a side mini rivalry within the NWO, you know, and you still have, you know, the, the, the wolf pack that, you know, you could still split up the NWO, um, and you could still have the wolf pack, if you will, um, feuding with some of the NWO. And then you have Brett feuding with his brother who's in the NWO and his brothers-in-law, um, you know, had Owen Hart. Went to WCW. I could picture. I, I could. I don't think that there would be a lot of focus and emphasis, but I could picture Owen Hart in 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 some matches with guys like Eddie Guerrero, with Chris Benoit, um, with Dean Malenko, with Rey Mysterio, um, some of the 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 more athletically gifted re- wrestlers on that roster. Jericho for sure. Um, I could definitely picture um, Owen Hart. Um, putting on some really you know top level world class performances with those guys Um, but with WCW and their lack of direction I don't see Owen Hart um, being I don't don't see his I, I don't see them really putting a ton of focus on like rivalries like that maybe Owen Hart in a US title picture maybe in a TV title picture maybe we see him with like a Booker T um maybe him and Davey Boy renew their tag team um and and, and jump ranks in the WCW tag team division but I you know I kind of see the only way an Owen Hart run in WCW could have worked is if you kind of included him with Brett and in, in whether he was aligned with brett against the nwo or he had joined the nwo to be a part of um the nwo taking over wcw and getting you know the best of Bret hart at the time i think that's where the you would get the best use of owen harton from a storytelling standpoint never mind the matches never mind the great matches he could have with all those names that I had mentioned before I just don't think they would have put enough focus and emphasis on a storyline with Owen Hart separate from his brother Brett I think Owen Hart would have been kind of used as filler in my opinion um, but you know what if what if Owen Hart went to WCW it's very fascinating um, to think that you know he could have gone with his brother brett and what could have been um maybe you know he would still be alive today and that's not me you know putting any blame on wwe for what had taken place unfortunately it was under their watch that this tragic accident occurred but um you know maybe we would be maybe we we would be celebrating um the legacy of Owen Hart with him here today um had he had gone over uh to WCW and 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 that what if scenario wasn't about, you know, per se like what if he was still alive and 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 that could have went down. Um that's not what i meant by it. That's more or less me um just, you know, trying to create and think of a, a an interesting and fun scenario had he had um, left WWF after the screw job with his brother Brett but um, yeah I don't think that uh, you know I, I think in, in very similar fashion to his brother Brett Owen's run would there would be flashes of potential in a WCW run um, and maybe some you know underground hidden gems in terms of matches with a lot of those names that i had mentioned before but i don't think we would see owen hart um i don't think the legacy of owen hart would have entailed um a lot of wcw in the same way that it did for brett um so yeah that's that's where i uh that's where i kind of stand with um with, with owen hart and wcw um all right. Here's another what-if scenario. There are three different years um, that that, uh, that 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 signify um, the end of three different runs from the Ultimate Warrior in the WWF: 1991, 1992, and 1996. What if um, he wasn't fired? Let, let's start with 1991. Um, Warrior's last match in 1991 was at the SummerSlam pay-per-view, and he was teamed with Hulk Hogan against the Triangle of Terror, Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, General Adnan, and Sid Vicious was the guest referee. It was the match made in hell, the three-on-two handicap match. And so, um, Warrior chased, I believe, General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa out of the arena with a steel chair, and he was never to be seen from again. And... We would find out in later years that the Ultimate Warrior um, held up Vince McMahon for more money before that show um, and said he would not wrestle unless he um, he was paid a certain amount of, uh, of money. And Vince paid him. And then after the match, he fired him. And uh, it was one of the more controversial moments in Ultimate Warrior's career behind the scenes. Uh, that he would do such a thing, and I'm not here to shit on the dead because I'm sure that there are plenty of Ultimate Warrior fans out there that will find positives um, in his uh, career, Um, which there are some, for sure, when it comes to his in-ring career, but his reputation behind the scenes, I think universally, you could argue he was not the most liked individual um, behind the scenes. But anyhow, um, what if the Ultimate Warrior did stay? Um, and what if the Ultimate Warrior was not fired from the WWF in 1991? Well, as we saw before that match at SummerSlam, they were kind of building to him and Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, you know, Jake the Snake was um, preparing the Ultimate Warrior to kind of find his dark side, so to speak, in combating The Undertaker. Yeah, it was earlier in that year when Undertaker had locked the Ultimate Warrior inside that casket on the funeral parlor on an episode of Superstars. And um, it was following that that Jake kind of mentored the Ultimate Warrior um, and then eventually would turn on him. And he would Jake would align with Undertaker um, in those series of vignettes where Warrior was trapped in that room with all those snakes and the cobra bit him. Um you know we would I, I i'm pretty sure we would get jake and warrior um as a as a, as a, a main storyline something that we hadn't seen at that time jake was a heel warrior was a babyface. um jake was aligned with undertaker and i think the the potential for the the lead ups to those matches, I think, would have been huge, given the fact that they had those series of vignettes where Jake was, like I said, kind of mentoring Warrior to find his dark side within him, and you saw like him digging his own grave in the graveyard, and he, you know, all these crazy psychological things, um, that uh, you know, I feel like we could have seen more of that. Um, heading into an eventual showdown, maybe the two of them would have wrestled each other at Survivor Series. Maybe they would have captained a team. Um, would Jake and the Undertaker have crashed the Macho Man's uh, wedding? You know, following the the match made in heaven. Yeah, and maybe we would have seen. Maybe this. Maybe Jake and Undertaker would have been the the impetus for Warrior and Savage to form a partnership. As we all know, it was Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7 that had um, faced off against Randy Savage in a career match and won that match. Maybe we would have seen Warrior and Savage form a partnership to take on Jake the Snake and The Undertaker. That could have been some pretty cool stuff. Um, Would that have led... Now, what would that have led to? Um, Maybe we would have seen individual matches with Jake and Warrior jake a warrior and undertaker maybe this partnership would have been short-lived and we would have seen warrior and savage have a rematch at wrestlemania 8 from their wrestlemania 7 career ending match maybe it would have been warrior and savage you know that that you know, had their showdown at WrestleMania, maybe Warrior would have been the one to take the loss, and Savage would have gotten the victory, you know? The the story going into that match could have been, you know, well, I beat you and ended your career last year, and I'm the reason why the WWF reinstated you because, you know, of what Jake the Snake and Undertaker did to you at your wedding. I suggested, I proposed to Jack Tunney that they reinstate the Macho Man so that we could fight off Jake and Undertaker. I'm the reason why you're back, and you, uh, you're not going to beat me at WrestleMania. Um, the the possibilities of that I think would have been pretty cool. I really do. Um, I think that would have been something that um, you know fans would have gotten into at the time. I really do. Um, imagine a WrestleMania 8, you know, Warrior Savage rematch. Um, yeah, I, I think that would have been kind of cool. But at the same time, you could have also built to Warrior and Undertaker at that WrestleMania, and then you would have blown off Jake and Savage. So imagine a WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan. Against Ric Flair for the WWF Championship, Macho Man Randy Savage against Jake the Snake Roberts, Ultimate Warrior against the Undertaker. Where does that leave Sid? Well, I'm sure that they would find a place for Sid on that card. Um, maybe Sid would have. May, maybe, maybe Sid would have. Uh, you know, tagged with Warrior against Jake and Undertaker. Who knows? Um, Maybe Sid would have been in a a completely different uh, rivalry with somebody else. Don't know that either. But I think the possibilities in terms of what Warrior could have done uh, with the WWF had he not been fired, like I said... They were they were already brewing with a rivalry with Jake. Undertaker was a part of that. So you, you could have built off of, you know, you have those two matches there, those two rivalries that you could have set up for the next several months. Include Randy Savage, maybe a tag match, a Survivor Series match. Um, and then eventually leading to Savage and Warrior, you know, Savage and Warrior culminating at WrestleMania 8. Maybe their involvement in the 92 Royal Rumble match for the vacant WWF title could have been a reason why you get Savage and Warrior at WrestleMania. Maybe Savage and Warrior would have been for the title at WrestleMania, and Hogan and Flair was just a, a special attraction match, non-title. You know, possibilities are endless. Um, now, as we know, in 1992, The Ultimate Warrior would return at WrestleMania 8 to save Hulk Hogan from... Sid Vicious and Papa Shango in the main event and Warrior would go on to have a short-lived rivalry with Sid uh, eventually with Papa Shango but then he would be put in the title picture um, facing off against Randy Savage at SummerSlam 1992 and the storyline heading into that pay-per-view was Whose corner is Mr. Perfect going to be in? Is he going to be in the corner of Randy Savage, or is he going to be in the corner of the Ultimate Warrior? Who's going to take on the services of Mr. Perfect? And that caused the rift between Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior, which at the time they had respected each other and they were looking forward to facing each other at SummerSlam because there wasn't really any kind of personal issues between the two of them, but Flair and Perfect kind of being the straw to stir the drink helped set up those issues. Um, as we know at that pay-per-view at SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium, uh, the, it would be a no contest as Flair and Perfect would get involved and would attack both men. Razor Ramon would get involved in the picture you know, a few weeks later, helping Flair defeat Savage for the title, which would set up Macho Man and um, uh, Ultimate Warrior as the ultimate maniacs. And they would take on Ric Flair. They were scheduled to take on Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. And uh, unfortunately, the Ultimate Warrior was let go at that time um, from the WWF because he had failed uh, a drug test. And so they had to plug in Mr. Perfect at the last minute. And they had to do a quick you know, babyface turn with Perfect kind of leaving Flair um, and Bobby Heenan's camp because Perfect was the executive consultant. Um, he wasn't wrestling at the time. Um, So they kind of had to plug Perfect in at the last minute. Um, It was okay, but it still didn't have that same excitement that many were hoping to see with a team of Savage and Warrior against Flair and Razor. Now, let's say that we never got that with Mr. Perfect. We never got Mr. Perfect turning babyface and Ultimate Warrior uh, leaving the WWE, or being let go from the WWF at that time. How far, what kind of trajectory do we see Warrior and his path in the WWF. Um, I would imagine that we probably would have gotten an Ultimate Warrior Ric Flair showdown at some point, whether it's on an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event or even the Royal Rumble, or maybe even you wait to push it back to WrestleMania, um, WrestleMania 9, Ultimate Warrior and Ric Flair. Um, That's something that I think at the time... In nineteen, especially going into nineteen ninety three, um, the hardcore hardcore loyal WWF fan base would have gotten behind a, a rivalry like that, um, and you know, would, I think it would be a situation where Warrior would have to go through someone like a Razor Ramon, and even let's say Mister Perfect comes out of retirement and and he's he's wrestling, you know, once again. Let's just say let let's let's really up the ante, if you will, and let's just say that you know. Warrior doesn't get fired, that means Mr. Perfect doesn't turn babyface, that means Bobby the Brain Heenan has not introduced the narcissist Lex Luger into the mix, and you got this this stable of of studs, if you will, with Bobby Heenan as, like, the figurehead mouthpiece, Ric Flair, Razor Ramon, Mr. Perfect, and the narcissist Lex Luger as a as a strong heel faction, it, it, they wouldn't really have a name per se, but they would be, you know, clients of Bobby the Brain Heenan, um... I could see Warrior kind of going through Razor, or having to deal with Razor on the way to Flair, having to deal with Perfect on the way to Flair, having to deal with Luger on the way to Flair. Maybe Luger kind of is the last stop to 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 Warrior. Like let's say at the Royal Rumble. Let's say, let's say Warrior decisively defeats Mister Perfect, and that sets up. Maybe that sets up Mister Perfect, um, you know, turning babyface, and Warrior is looking to gun down Flair and get a piece of Flair. And Luger, the narcissist, is the one that stops Warrior momentarily heading into WrestleMania. Um, And Flair and Heenan are upset that Perfect just kind of, you know, he couldn't get the job done. He couldn't, you know... He couldn't put the stops to the Ultimate Warrior. He couldn't, you know, slow him down on his way to Ric Flair at WrestleMania. And then maybe that sets up Luger Imperfect at that WrestleMania, which we would eventually see. So, um, that's just, I think, an idea of how far Warrior could have gotten. Hey, let's even go further, okay? But at WrestleMania in 93... The, the, the outdoor WrestleMania, WrestleMania 9, we, we we know we saw Hogan walk out of there as the champion, okay? And Hogan, um, they were going for youth, and Hogan kind of swooped in and reminded everyone that he was still popular, and they needed to put the belt on him, and they put the championship on him, and everyone expected to see Brett and Hogan eventually for the championship. Um, let's say they went that route and i'm going to get to that in the next scenario okay you have ultimate warrior who had kind of gone through flair and Flair's camp it would only be naturally fitting to see ultimate warrior take on yokozuna at that time um, yokozuna who was this big monster um his momentum had kind of slowed down a little bit um maybe um That would be like the undercard non-title rivalry with Warrior and Yoko following WrestleMania. Maybe Yoko defeats Hogan like we saw in 93 at King of the Ring. And it's Warrior that's that hero, that all-American hero um, to save the day. And he's the one that headlines that SummerSlam that year against Yokozuna for the WWF Championship. I think people would have gotten behind that more than they would have with Luger. As the you know Yankee Doodle Dandy on steroids, I mean, come on, let's be realistic here. Um, Warrior was a proven commodity. Warrior was a popular character. Ultimate Warrior, I think um, he would have he would have filled that role nicely. I don't think he would have done great business with Yokozuna at that time because I think 1993, in terms of wrestling across the board, I think was losing its popularity. But I think I think, I think they would have done all right, him and Yoko. The matches wouldn't have been anything to write home about, but, you know, I think it, w- it would have been a solid attraction at that time while they were still in the process of building their future with the youth of guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and Razor Ramon and under, even Undertaker, you know. Um, that That's something that I think I would have gotten behind more. And I'm not the biggest Ultimate Warrior fan, but I would have gotten behind it more Um to see warrior uh take on yoko zuna heading into that that uh that, that summer that year so had warrior not been fired in 92 i think he probably would have had somewhat of a a, a sustainable rivalry with rick flair and his camp with guys like ramon and perfect and even luger to then eventually set him up with him and yoko um at at, at summer you know warrior beating flair maybe that's flair's swan song maybe flair decides to stay through wrestlemania and then eventually he leaves gives his notice and goes to wcw uh, maybe warrior's that guy to kind of give him the exit and warrior's got that momentum behind him that he had you know broken up rick flair's camp if you will and um you know it it, it, it rides him into the championship picture with yoko zuna down the line so, um, now in terms of nineteen ninety six, uh, as we know, Ultimate Warrior was let go because he had no showed a few events, um, and uh, there was uh, there were some issues between him and Vince McMahon. Um, Warrior would make his day deb- his return at that WrestleMania that year, defeating Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, and then. Uh, following that, he had a short-lived rivalry with Goldust. uh didn't last very long. He had a short-lived rivalry with Jerry the King Lawler, and that didn't last very long. And then he was thrust into the rivalry with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson opposing Camp Cornette, which would be Owen Hart, Davey Boy, and Vader. Um, Warrior was supposed to be a part of that big six-man tag, and he had, you know, no-showed a few events and the company had let him go and that's where they brought Sid in to the mix. Uh, let's say he doesn't get fired. Let's say he attends all all the, the scheduled appearances he's supposed to make. Um, Ultimate Warrior's trajectory in 96, I could definitely see him in Vader for sure. Um, that would be an attraction. I think they were even doing that on some house shows. They were kind of toying with that idea at that time in 96. Um, but what if the Ultimate Warrior were to have... Turned heel in 1996 against Shawn Michaels. And we saw a more darker version of the Ultimate Warrior. Um, This is a scenario I kind of proposed on the Marking Out the Days Weekend Warrior podcast with Kobe Nida. Had the Warrior turned on Randy Savage following that SummerSlam 92 Um, pay-per-view. And we could have seen Warrior as a heel at that time in 92. Apparently that's the rumor that that was an idea thrown out there and warrior refused to do it because he didn't think that he thought his popularity was going to go down. Um, But what if warrior in 1996 took a chance and you, you plug him into the role that Sid was in where it's eventually a collision course between warrior and Michael's. You know, they kind of form this on-screen bond or friendship, if you will. And eventually it comes down to these two guys having to face each other for the championship. And Warrior is the one that takes out Jose Lothario at the Survivor Series. Wins the championship in Madison Square Garden. And we get a darker, um, still bringing the intensity, but not as fast-paced as the you would get in a normal Ultimate Warrior Presentation, um, very more methodical. Uh, maybe even you know a mouthpiece behind the Ultimate Warrior. Maybe somebody like a Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette adding to his camp, um, and being the, the the one to manage the Ultimate Warrior, Maybe even Paul Bearer, who at the time was managing mankind. Maybe you kind of have Paul Bearer as that that one to bring the dark side out of the Ultimate Warrior um and lead him to the top of the WWF as the WWF champion over Shawn Michaels I think that's I think that's something that you know people remember the Ultimate Warrior to this day for how colorful he was and the energy that he brought but I think that people are going to or people would have spoken more highly of his legacy had he made a character change um you know, in the same vein that Hulk Hogan did in 1996, on the other side in WCW, Hulk Hogan had changed up his character and turned into a heel and really reinvented himself. Um, you know, what if the Ultimate Warrior, you know, had stuck around in 1996 and he would have done the same, um... You know, with like maybe someone like Paul Bear as his manager, and Paul bear has got this, you know, this this entourage of misfits with mankind and the Ultimate Warrior. Um, like I said, a more darker, methodical version, not as colorful. Um, warrior, you know, changing up his style, where he, you know he's not, he's still delivering these powerful moves, and but he's he's got a more meth- methodical, slow, um, psychological. Um, different style that that is different that that is completely the opposite of what his original character was you know not a, not a whole lot of running around and um and and uh you know exciting the crowd and shaking the ropes or anything like that but like really changing his look up um you know and 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 just reinventing himself i think people would have taken people would have spoken of his legacy in a more positive light had he had gone that route and done something like that. And then I think eventually, you know, when it comes to that, I think his I think his run I think his run could have could have lasted till till like Undertaker. Um, because Paul Bearer was, you know, the former manager of the Undertaker. He turned on Undertaker to join mankind. And I think we would get that like no pun intended, ultimate showdown between, you know, the darker, um, more diabolical, psychologically um, psychological killer that is the ultimate warrior over the under and then the Undertaker on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I think that's something that they could have that that I think that they could have revisited. It's a dream scenario, but I think it's something that would have been very interesting to see at that time in WWF. Maybe in 1996, late 96, maybe even in the early 97. Maybe you know. Had Shawn Michaels not, you know, lost his smile, we would have still seen him and Bret, and maybe we would have seen Undertaker and the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 13 that year. That's something to kind of ponder. Um, but those are the three different scenarios that I think. Um, I think there's there's potential in all three of them. Um, between 91, 92 and 96 you know had the ultimate warrior not left the company or been let go in those three respective uh, years i think that those those scenarios i think would have kind of helped add some some more prestige to the legacy that is the Ultimate Warrior. Now on the subject of prestige, we got two legacies that are fondly spoken of in wrestling history and I'm talking about Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. Um, and this next what if scenario here is um, what if these two had that big dream match that many wrestling fans uh, wanted to see on a larger stage. Um, and I'm not referring to that random episode of Nitro in September of 1998, I think I think it was from Rochester, New York. They had a, a match on TV. Um, what if we saw Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan um, on a grand level, uh, whether it be in WWF or WCW? Um, I kind of spoke of it earlier. Uh, Hogan. Um, came back and uh, won the championship in quick fashion over Yokozuna after WrestleMania IX, uh, right after Yoko defeated Bret. And many expected we would get that you know dream match with Hogan and Bret. Um, Bret has said on a number of occasions that um, they had taken uh, promotional uh pictures uh, with the two of them supposedly headlining SummerSlam. I remember in the WWF magazine when I was a kid, it was kind of a a dream match scenario article that was thrown out there alluding to SummerSlam, Um, but according to many people out there in the wrestling world, it was not a scenario that they were seriously discussing. Brett has even said that Hogan told him that he would have no problems doing the favor and uh, dropping the belt back to him. But what we did see was Hogan losing to Yokozuna, and then Hogan leaving the WWF not too long after that, and uh, Bret Hart would uh, win the King of the Ring the same night, Hogan would lose the championship, and Bret and Yoko would go on two different trajectories. But let's just say, what if Hulk Hogan stayed with the WWF in 1993, and would we get that big dream scenario match? Realistically, no. And here's a couple of reasons why Um, first and foremost the WWF was trying their best to maintain a clean public image um, excuse me in the midst of their um, steroid trial with the federal government and so Hulk Hogan was the poster boy Hulk Hogan was indicted actually to testify at the trial Um, and I don't think, from a public relations standpoint, it would have been a good look for Hulk Hogan to still be appearing on WWF programming in a high-profile storyline as he is going to testify um, uh, for the federal government um, in the trial, the steroid trial against Vince McMahon and the w- and the World Wrestling Federation. Um, the other reason why is that I don't think at that time. That people, because Hulk Hogan had kind of pigeon himself into um, the way his character was presented where he faced like these big monsters, um, that people would have believed Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart, um, especially as two baby faces. I think it would have been a scenario where Bret Hart would have either had to have turned into a heel... Uh, Maybe out of frustration for losing that championship and all the bad luck he had, you know, endured in the early parts of 1993 in order to get people to to believe that he had a shot against Hogan or Hulk Hogan would have had to have turned heel. And that's something I don't think would have been realistic or in realistic fashion. Um, So in terms of a dream scenario in the WWF, I think on all fronts, uh, Hogan and Bret Hart, I don't think, from a realistic standpoint, we would have seen that match in the WWF. Now, in terms of uh, WCW, I think there was more of a chance to see that. Um, You know, I, I mentioned it in the Owen Hart scenario. Uh, Brett coming into WCW, many people expected him and Hogan to, to, to go at it right away. Um, I didn't necessarily have that expectation as a kid. I figured Brett was going to go through a few people to get to Hogan, that they were going to build to him and Hogan in the same vein that they had built to Hogan and Sting at Starcade and that going almost 18 months. Um, I expected somewhat of a, a solid six- to eight-month build to get to brett and hogan whether that be at like a bash at the beach or at halloween havoc um you know even going far as back as a starcade i i, I expected you know something like that we didn't get that um and we, what we got was bret hart joining the nwo and having an alliance with hulk hogan um and i really don't know what the thought process was behind that um i don't know if you know WCW creative Eric Bischoff and the other members of the booking committee thought that Bret Hart's star power was going to add something to the NWO instead of kind of leaving Bret on his own. Um, By that point, it was, you know, pretty clear that WCW, um, they were... They were they were still really pushing hard with the NWO concept to the point where they split them up into two factions, and you know you had an NWO black and white, you had an NWO black and red, and they were at war with each other within the ranks of WCW to the point where they were just plucking guys from WCW to join their factions, and you know there was about forty or fifty guys that were in the NWO, um, it, both NWOs respectively. So um, Bret Hart was a part of that as part of the black and white and I hated it from the get go I just thought that Bret Hart was such a big enough name he didn't need to be associated with that maybe feuding with the NWO, absolutely Um, but even when Bret Hart at one point I believe was kicked out of the NWO um, and then they brought him back in i was like this was like the beginning of the end for me in terms of like me really caring about bret hart um and i was like i was holding out hope that they were going to do something with him and hogan um even to the point where um probably one of the only bright spots of bret hart's wcw run was that episode of nitro where he um he demanded a match with Goldberg and Goldberg came out and speared him. And then Bret Hart got up and he revealed that he had a metal plate uh, in his abdomen area and it knocked out Goldberg. Um, I thought that moment was going to eventually get us to Bret and Hogan. Bret wanting better competition in WCW. Um, You know, having him work with Goldberg, eventually doing something with him and Sting. I thought that that point was when, when WCW was going to try and right the ship with him. And and unfortunately, um, the, the, the tragic, uh, passing of Owen Hart at that over the edge pay-per-view, um, had kind of stopped Brett's momentum in WCW. And he had taken some time off. He wasn't sure if he was going to even come back to wrestle. And then there was the opportunity The opportunity had presented itself, Brett was going to return. And, you know, this was right before Eric Bischoff. was sent home and before vince russo and ed ferrara had come in and taken over the creative aspect of wcw bret hart returned to wcw in the late summer early fall and said you know i came to wcw to wrestle hulk hogan and that and i'm coming back to wrestle hulk hogan and it looked like they were on that collision course Bret and hogan had tagged up on some random episodes of nitro against sting and luger um They even wrestled each other at some house shows that got some good reactions. I believe that there was some, some, some good attendance. People were interested in it. And it looked like, before Bischoff was let go there was a chance that we were going to see and Hogan on a bigger level, maybe at a Halloween Havoc, maybe even at a Starrcade. And Bischoff was let go on September uh, the 10th or the 9th of 1999. And not long after that, a few weeks later, Vince Russo and Ed Ferraro would leave the World Wrestling Federation and would join WCW. And they would overhaul the entire creative process of WCW, redo just about all the storylines. Hogan was not a part of the picture. And... um, you know, Bret Hart was, and Bret Hart was a big focal point. Um, but, you know, now that all that's been said, um, you know, Bret Hart and Hogan on a grand scale, um, you know, had Bret Hart's arrival into WCW been a little bit different and had Bret Hart, you know, not had joined the NWO, um, I feel like Bret and Hogan would have been a headline match at, like, a bash at the beach or a Halloween Havoc um, maybe we wouldn't have seen the Ultimate Warrior make his debut in WCW um, to set up the big match with him and Hogan at Halloween Havoc maybe it would have been Brett and Hogan at that Halloween Havoc um, or even at that Starrcade Brett and Hogan um, I, I think it's something that they that was discussed and was on the table but I think there were varying circumstances as to why that match didn't take place during that time period. I think Brett and his contracted obligations and his dates being limited and same thing with Hogan. And, uh, there were other things that they had still wanted to accomplish before they got there. But I think that management kind of lost sight of that in 1998. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. hundred percent could be wrong. Um, but I think it's something that um was definitely discussed and and explored but not at great length at that time now in terms of 1999 obviously you know had his brother owen not passed i'm pretty sure we would have gotten to uh brett and hogan uh maybe even at that bash at the beach maybe we would have seen the two of them headline that pay-per-view um Hogan would return the day after that pay per view, but maybe they would have expedited his return a little bit sooner, uh, because at that time WWF was you know really getting ahead in the race uh, when it came to television ratings and pay per view, and WCW needed a big time matchup, something to get the people interested, excuse me, in their programming, and I feel like Bretton and Hogan would have been that um, on that grand scale at a Bash at the Beach in 1999, if not. Then maybe they wait till Halloween Havoc or Starcade when, you know, Brett returned in the fall, um, you know, and making the proclamation that he's not done with WCW until he gets his match with Hulk Hogan. Um, so that's something I think that could have been explored. Now, we, as we know, Bret Hart suffered that career ending concussion against Goldberg and he never wrestled to the acceptable level than many of us expected him to wrestle at following that. Um, I'm not counting the, the the Vince McMahon match at WrestleMania in 2010, but um, I'm guessing that um, when Bischoff and Russo were put together to work together to help kind of turn things around, I'm guessing if Brett's health um, were to have been in a better stage that maybe we would have seen Brett and Hogan in the year 2000 um, at one of those big you know, tent pole type events, Bash at the Beach or Halloween Havoc or Starrcade. Um, maybe we would have seen Brett and Hogan. Um, maybe Hogan wouldn't have uh, you know, walked out on the company. Um, And left following his disagreements with Vince Russo. But, I mean, that's going a little too far because, you know, in terms of trying to map out a potential scenario with him and Brett. Um, But, you know, building the two of them – to a match wouldn't have been hard, especially in WCW, given the the their their name value. Uh, the two of them, you know, were, were legends and, you know, many considered it a dream match. And billing it as a dream match of such, I think, would have been the hype in and of itself. I don't think you would have needed a whole lot of personal animosity to get them to that point. Um, so that's something I think that we could have definitely seen uh in 1998 and in 1999 um obviously brett and hogan um you know very protective of their legacies in wrestling um brett having a lot of personal animosity towards hulk hogan over the years um dating back to the incident at wrestlemania 9 and how brett felt that that was handled as well as you know during their time in wcw so um maybe maybe this would be a different discussion had brett and hogan had their match obviously maybe brett would feel differently had him and hogan had a huge match and drawn huge money maybe you know we wouldn't hear so many stories and interviews with brett hart blasting hulk hogan um, had they had their big you know dream match that he had expected they were going to have who knows but i just think that you know it's uh it's an interesting scenario that um You know, it wouldn't have been one of those like life changing moments in wrestling history, but it definitely, I think, you know, there's potential of it being um, a big deal and something that fans would remember for uh, years to come had they gone that direction on multiple occasions in WCW. And our fifth and final what-if scenario kind of involves the Eric Bischoff-Vince Russo era of WCW. And, uh, you know, what if the Radicals had stayed with WCW uh, instead of jumping to the World Wrestling Federation? As we all know, um, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn left WCW in January of 2000 and uh, would... uh, leave to go to the World Wrestling Federation citing some creative differences with the head booker at the time, Kevin Sullivan and um, the uh, the you know upper management like bill bush who was running wcw at the time and some other members of the senior management mike graham and uh, jj Dillon, and uh so they felt like their careers were going to be squandered and they they had demanded their releases and wcw just said fine we'll, we'll let you go and they went and joined the world wrestling federation and uh you know life wasn't the same for them ever since um but what if the radicals did stay what if wcw either offered them more money to stay um or made some kind of promise or guarantee that they were going to be used in 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 a better light in a better situation um what what happens to the radicals chris benoit eddie guerrero dean malenko and perry saturn well they wouldn't be named the radicals for start um but um you know you got to go back and 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 remember here um The sold-out 2000 paper, you ended with Chris Benoit as the WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Kevin Nash, who was the commissioner of WCW and leader of the NWO Silver and Black, had made it clear that he was going to make Benoit's life a living hell. So on the Chris Benoit front, um, him being the fighting champion against upper management and the NWO at that time, I think would have been the reasonable trajectory um, Benoit in a series of matches with guys like Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, even Kevin Nash. Um, that's something I could, I could see Benoit getting involved in and, and immersed in over time. Um, Saturn and Malenko, they were a team on screen in WCW before they left, um, I could kind of still see them involved in their storyline as a part of the revolution with Shane Douglas against the likes of the filthy animals like Kidman and Ray Mysterio and Conan. And, uh, that was, that, that seemed to be one of those never ending rivalries that even though the, the, the their work in the ring was good stuff, there really wasn't any kind of finality. And I think it's just one of those things that would go on and on forever. Um, Guerrero. Um, yeah, I could still see him, um, you know, a part of that filthy animals group now. Let's you know fast forward to April of 2000, and Bischoff and Russo would make their on-screen debuts as the figurehead bosses. But they would also be working together behind the scenes, in a, in a creative aspect, um, where they would do this new blood millionaire storyline. I feel like Benoit and Guerrero, along with like names like Booker T and Scott Steiner, and even Jeff Jarrett. I think they would have. I think Benoit Guerrero would have been utilized as like the top guys in that new blood faction. You know, I think we would have seen Benoit in there against the likes of a Sting um, against, you know, Diamond Dallas Page and Ric Flair, who had represented the Millionaires Club. Maybe we would have seen Benoit and Hulk Hogan in a match. Um, same thing with Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, you know, ton of talent, um, you know, in there against the likes of, you know, Diamond Dallas Page and Ric Flair and, you know, Sting. Um I think Saturn and Milenko, had they had stayed, I think they would kind of get lost in that shuffle um, maybe keeping them as a tag team not really knowing what to do with them but keeping them a part of wCW's tag team division um, as a representation of the new blood maybe you were to put malenko back into the cruiserweight uh, fold and you know have him be the figurehead for the new blood as a part of the cruiserweight division maybe Perry Saturn you know kind of goes back to his ECW roots a little bit and he goes to the hardcore division and you you kind of see those guys um you know in the top of those respective title scenes um that's something i can picture i think that you know benoit and guerrero and all those guys had they you know had russo and bischoff have a plan for them i think they would have been featured and highlighted more at the top of the card within the ranks of wcw um as a part of the new blood you know millionaires club storyline um I don't see a whole lot for them moving forward following that. Uh, maybe you know, maybe let's just say Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko and all those guys they stay and they stay through the the uh, the, the work shoot with Hogan and Jarrett. Um, when Bischoff ends up leaving, too. And, you know, Russo cuts that scathing promo, that shoot promo, talking about, you know, never seeing Hulk Hogan, that piece of shit ever again. And uh, maybe when they start to restructure their storylines a little bit, you know, Benoit's in the title picture with a Booker T. Um, Same thing with Guerrero. Um, You know, Goldberg will be in the mix, too. Maybe we see those guys wrestle Goldberg every once in a while. Um, You know, I feel like if had they had stayed i think russo would have done his best to make the best opportunity for them on screen to make them make fans believe that they were major players in wcw at the level of like the stings and the rick Flairs and the hulk hogan's and the goldberg's and the kevin nash's and the list goes on and on but i think that they would have been highlighted especially ben juan guerrero i think would have been highlighted and featured um higher up the card had they had stayed with wcw and taken part in that new blood millionaires club storyline which is kind of fitting because those two guys were the ones that really came out the best from the radicals when they joined the wwf guerrero had that latino heat character and he really capitalized off of that and benoit had a, a a run that was pretty solid in wwf early on in the intercontinental championship picture with guys like chris jericho and kurt angle eventually you know wrestling the rock and triple h and um, you know being a big part of you know being a focal point of storylines um for a number of years um you know you didn't really have Benoit in a role that didn't have any meaning at the time and same thing with guerrero too in the wwf so i think you know it's kind of fitting that those two guys were the ones that really stood out from the four of them in w in in wwf when they made the jump i think they would do the same thing in wcw had they had stayed um and not jump ship so uh Um, yeah, that's, that's where, um, as, as I like to say, and as I've said on a number of these, that's where I stand with that. And, uh, I think it's, uh, I I think it's fitting that we end, um, this day five fanny pack with that. Uh, thank you also very much for, uh, for joining me this week, uh, hitting that download button. Um, and, uh, you know, playing along with me. What if, um, what if, you know, this guy did this? What if they had this rivalry? What if this dream match took place? I always like to talk about that sort of stuff, because that sort of stuff fascinates me, and uh, hopefully it fascinates you guys, too. Um, If you guys got any, uh, you know, what-if scenarios that you want me to bring to light in these fanny packs, then by all means, hit us up on social media, both Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com forward slash KickingOut2, as well as our Twitter handle, at KickingOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. Um, If it's something that we haven't talked about, I would love to discuss it. Give me your ideas. I want you guys to be a part of this process and help make this show a show for not just me but for all of you as well but it's mainly for all of you because uh, i enjoy talking wrestling with all of you and hopefully you enjoy listening too so uh, with that being said i think it's about that time that we put the show officially down for the three count we will see you all next week